Lord Jesus, would you simply let us sit with you this morning and give us of yourself. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Good morning, friends. Little ones are welcome to go with Miss Cheryl. And bless, bless their time together. So, do we have any Jeeves and Worcester fans here? Anybody? Do you, do you know that? Oh, it's something that's getting lost. It should not get lost. So P.G. Woodhouse wrote these hilarious uh, satires of English society between the wars. And in one of them, the celebrated psychiatrist Sir Roderick Glossop finally crosses the line. He gets too far out there in his innovative therapies. And he is then banned from practicing his innovative therapies in England. So what does he do? He crosses the Great Pond. He goes into upstate New York. He buys a huge manor house with a huge space of land, and he begins his own special project. The, the, the desire of his heart. He's using his own specially developed therapy to help people. His therapy is Do whatever excess it is that you want to do and can't break from until you have done it so much that you become sick of it and don't want to do it anymore. People flock to him to try out his therapy. And his therapy, it's stage one works really, really well. But it never seems to get to stage two. Stage one Do that thing that you really, really want to do in excess, in excess. He says that part goes great guns, but they can never get to stage two. Nobody ever seems to tire of it all. Woodhouse is having fun at the expense of his own people in his own day. In our world today, not to poke fun at it, there are many therapies, and I'm sympathetic to that. I I can see the need. And I can understand that many of them, even sometimes when they sound counterintuitive, many of them have their own effect. But we were originally today going to be rolling out of the Psalms and into our autumn series, but it occurred to me, you know, it's not quite Labor Day yet. We're sort of still in summer mode. And besides all that, why not let the book of the Psalms itself have its own last word? So we're on the last psalm of the book of the psalms today, and that's Psalm 150, because it really does work that way. This really is a psalm that is summing up the entirety of the book. So the first thing you may be thinking is, are you calling a psalm that says that we should praise God therapy? Well, I want to say not yes and no, but no and yes. In the sense of, there's some kind of trick to it, no. God is worthy to be praised, as we sang, simply for who he is. God is worthy to be praised simply for the fact that he is God. At the same time, though, the nature of his character is so good and so generous and so loving and so magnificent, and so powerful, that when we do praise him, 
it's as if some of it just can't help but spill back into us. And instead of looking at the real and many troubles of this world and the real and many that matter, struggles that we face, our eyes are lifted in that spell to see the one who is great and good, beautiful and loving, and it can't help but help us. So in a sense, we could call praising God an ancient and proven kind of a therapy. He's so good that it bounces back. So Psalm 150, wrapping up the Psalms. Psalm 150, in a very few verses, begins simply saying, praise the Lord. And then it gives us four different reasons, if you will, to praise him. The first one often gets translated as praise God in his sanctuary. I don't think that's the best way to handle that little bit. It does not mean get yourself in a building to a stuffy room where you have to sit uptight and praise God. What it really says is praise God in his own holiness. Sanctus, sanctuary. Sanctus is the Latin bit of hagios, which is the Greek for holy. What it's really saying is praise God for his own nature of his holiness. And what is holiness? Holiness is something that is not really that easy to define, but here's, here's some helpful, I hope, ways to think about it. God is the still point. He is the place of soul rest. God is complete in himself. He is whole. He is a fullness. He's not lacking. He has no need to hurry. He is enough. You can take a breath and be in and with God. In and with God, all is well. He is simple in a beautiful way, while also being more than we could ever figure out. He's complete. God is holy, and we praise him for his holiness, in his nature of holiness. The second one is, praise him in the firmament of his power. Again, we translate this one in a way that seems to say, because he's over there somewhere in space, in firmament. Firmament. That's, that's, again, it's so much better than that. It's his everywhere-ness. It's his surrounding presence. It's his having made all that is and having made it in joy. There's a, there's a mystic from the era of the Middle Ages in which astronomy was being developed and the telescope and all this other stuff, and it was just on people's minds, like, oh, my word, it's so much more magnificent. And look, you know, let's figure out how does this work. There's a mystic from that time, and he said, God is a circle whose circumference is nowhere. You can't limit him. You can't cut him out and say you're in there. And whose center is everywhere. He's intimate. He's near. He's in you. He's with you. He knows you. Sir John Polkinghorne, 
an, an accomplished English astrophysicist in 1982. He said, I, I think I've done everything for astrophysics that I can do. as a statement of humility on his part, and he'd done quite a bit. And so he went and he got a PhD in theology, just for the fun of it, and he became an Anglican priest. And Sir John Polkinghorne then gave wonderful, complimentary, happy lectures about science and astrophysics and and belief in God all working happily together. And his favorite thing was to ask the question, why is there something rather than nothing? If you're an astrophysicist, that's a good question to ask. That's basically where you've been your whole professional life, looking at the vastness of what is. And he asked, why is there something rather than nothing? He would also say, yes, you take the kettle, you fill it with water, you put it on the oven, you turn the gas on. He said, we all understand the science of how it works. But he says, but why is the water boiling? The water's boiling because there's an intelligent agent who wants tea. Why is there something rather than nothing? Because God has created in love that he wants to sit and have tea with us all. Sir John Polkinghorne praising God in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Strictly speaking here, this is just praise him for his might. But the scripture makes clear, and the language says it this way, that God has used his might in great acts to help his people and to redeem his world. In the Old Testament, the greatest expression of this is in the Exodus. In the New Testament, the greatest expression of this is in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. God has acted in amazing ways to love us, to bring us into freedom, to pull us into himself. God is everywhere. He's full and he's perfect in and of himself. But he's not aloof because he does love us. Praise him for his excellent greatness, the multitude of his majesty, his life-giving energy. Ever been to the British Museum? So the British Museum is in the news this weekend. Anybody hear this? The British Museum has been embarrassed and shocked to find out that they have lost some 2,000 artifacts. So they've been busy telling Greece and Egypt and all these other countries of the world that they collected these things from to stop asking for them because they can take better care of them. And it's come out that in the meantime, they've lost some 2,000 artifacts. Not sure that argument's going to work anymore. You go in the British Museum, it's magnificent. You go into this excellent sort of uh, atrium room in the middle. You take a left into the first space. You pass through the Egypt bit. You go into the Assyria bit and you are confronted by an accurate historical reconstruction of the Balawat Gates. The Balawat Gates were the gates of the throne room of the Assyrian king. The Assyrian Empire was one that came in after the Egyptians and that Isaiah spoke about, and they were terrible. They were horrific, and they were feared. The gates ancient world. The gates are 20 feet high. It's somewhere around, say, that second window. And they have, they have bronze and copper hinges 
that have reliefs of scenes of their life that hold together, eight sets of them that hold together these, these long pieces of wood. The point of this is, this is the world in which the little nation of Israel, the people of God, lived. They live surrounded by these incredible empires who, yes, I know, they don't have any you know, cars or engines or technology as we call it today, no mobile digital stuff, no electricity, but they still made things that were magnificent, that were awe-inspiring. And in spite of it, the Hebrew prophets saw something greater, and they were able to look at those things and say, you know, we're just not impressed. We've seen something greater. We have seen Yahweh on his throne. We have seen the glory of God. And therefore, they would say, thus says the Lord. And you, O empire of this and empire of that and empire of the other thing, you have your day, but that's it. You have your day. God owns and holds it all. Praise him for his excellent greatness. So the psalm gives us these four reasons, if you will, or ways or avenues to praise God. And then it basically goes into this rhythm where it basically says, hey, just however you can do it, whatever works for you, whatever kind of instrument you can play or whatever kind of sound you can make, just get on with it, basically. It covers the whole ground, everything from loud instruments to contemplative ones. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him on the lute and the harp. Praise him with timbrels and dances. Move the body. Praise him on the strings and pipe. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Praise him with the loud cymbals. So whatever your style, whatever you're good at, whatever speaks to your heart, fine, good, awesome, great, praise him with it. Praise him in it. And it works its way then to the final word. Let everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Do you find it amazing? I do. I find it amazing that we have read that so many times, and we've never really noticed it. We've read Psalm 148. Wild animals, all cattle, small creatures, flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young men and maidens, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord. Kings put right there with cows, and all of them to praise the Lord. You can't say it's just figurative when it's in the list with the humans as well. You'd have to be switching from figurative to human or to, you know, literal, whatever you want to call it, boom, with no warning, no context change. It's in the apocalypse, in the new heaven and the new earth. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The psalm says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Early Christian theologian in North Africa, Tertullian, Tertullian put it this way. He said, every creature prays. Not exactly the same thing, but in his own. Cattle, wild beasts pray. They bend their knees when they issue from their layers and layers. They look up heavenward with no idle mouth, making their breath vibrate after their own manner. The birds, too, rising out of the nest, praise themselves heavenward and, instead of hands, expand the cross of their wings and say something like prayer. 
Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. It's all his. He has made it all. It's all to his glory. When we praise God, when we look upon him, lift him up, state how wonderful he is. There's something that overflows and comes back to us. The trick is we don't do it to get that. We just do it because it deserves to be done. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. It's more than a therapy, but it works like a therapy. And that which we focus on, we turn into and toward. And when we praise God and gaze upon his glory, we are lifted up and transformed into it. The last line of the book of the Psalms, Oh, praise the Lord. I invite you, friends, just to take a moment in your own heart just to say to God, God, you are beautiful. God, you have been good to me. God, you are faithful. God, you are generous. You are gracious. You are powerful. Whatever it is that you can say, just take a few moments. Look up and give glory to God in your own heart and mind.